You're listening to episode 120 of the Tennis Files podcast, the 21 habits of winning tennis players. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. Welcome to the Tennis Files Podcast, bringing you advice from the top minds in tennis to help you improve your game. And now, here's your host, Mehrban Iranshad. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Tennis Files Podcast. My name is Mehrban Iranshad, a former Division I college tennis player, and on the show I interview the world's top pros, coaches, and experts to help you improve your tennis game. And today I have for you another solo episode, a special one that I'm entitling the 21 Habits of Winning Tennis Players. And uh, over the years, uh, either through experience or learning from everybody uh, who I've interviewed on the show and during my tennis summits, I've learned a lot of different habits that are really an integral part of winning tennis players, whether it's top pros or even top college or amateur players, and they're uh, following these habits, or at least the vast majority of them, and that's what makes them successful. And so I want to highlight these habits for you and to have you think about whether you're truly implementing these habits into your tennis game and into your life. And if not, I highly encourage you to pick Uh, at least one of them or a couple of them and to start implementing them and to track your results and see how much of a difference they might make in your success. And really, you know, the key to being a successful player is developing good habits and discarding bad ones. You know, you may have certain bad habits such as maybe sleeping late, which we'll get into later. Um, And and that's something that you want to eliminate, you know, You might discover some new habits from this podcast that you need to put into your life. And, uh, you know, we're going to describe several of them that I think will really help you out. So uh, with that, let's launch straight into these habits. So the first habit that I want to highlight for you is setting the right intention before practice. And I think uh, this happens a lot of times where... You know, we call up a friend and we agree to go hit and you just go there and you play and, you know, on the fly, you think of things to do and that's okay, but it's not uh, maximizing the time that you have during practices. And I, I get a lot of emails from players who mention to me that, you know, a big problem for them is not having enough time to practice. But what you actually want to examine first is how are you actually practicing? Because you could have somebody who practices two times a week and they're planning their practices and figuring out, you know, what are their weaknesses? What do they need to work on that maybe failed them in the previous match? And they're going to improve a lot quicker than somebody who's playing five, six times a week and just going out and doing the same exact things in practice. I mean, actually, my uh, my best friend Victor and I, we were chatting before a doubles practice this past Sunday, and we committed to actually practicing things that we weren't naturally good at. Uh, for example, I was actually uh, committed to serving and volleying every single point, 
And that was fantastic for me. It brought me a little bit out of my comfort zone because I do like to serve and sometimes stay back and wail at my forehands, uh, or wail forehands rather. And Victor worked on being more aggressive in his return and practicing uh, cross-court dipping shots. And uh, we also both practiced uh, topspin lobs more often and these are things again that we it's not our strengths uh, by any means but we practiced it most importantly we planned in advance that we were going to do these things and so when it came time for the the practice match was essentially what block time is it's you warm up you play a few sets of doubles and we were able to to really practice these things and get better at them so highly encourage you before your practice I mean it can be as simple as just picking one thing you know, maybe I was I was watching actually Milan uh, Crinitin, his match, uh, like I think it was, sorry, it was actually a practice match. And he was highlighting that he noticed that he wasn't split stepping on time. So it could be something like that where you tell yourself, all right, you know, this practice, I'm going to work on my split step timing and making sure I split step all the time. And even that one thing can improve you quite a bit. So, you know, set the intention for what you're going to do before practice and that's going to be really really huge and make a big difference so that's number one um, setting the right intention before practice number two is getting enough sleep as i actually just mentioned in the intro and there's really no doubt that sleep affects performance on the court i mean it really depends on the person about how much sleep you need. I know personally, if I get less than seven and a half hours of sleep, then I'm A, not fully recovered, especially if I've had a a physically strenuous day. I mean, if I haven't played tennis that day or I haven't, you know, worked out, which is really rare these days, actually having some form of physical activity, then I can probably get away with a bit less, but it's, it's proven. I mean, there's countless studies that have been done. And in one case, I can't remember which basketball team it was, but they, uh, the coach actually made the team sleep an extra hour or something like that and track their stats and all of their stats pretty much improved. So, uh, you know, this is something that everybody knows, but not everybody does because of, you know, self-discipline uh, issues or other issues. And, uh, the, you know, just commit to it and make sure that you're telling yourself as uh, what I interviewed Donald Young, he just, he tells himself every night, you know, I know that if I'm not, if I'm not well rested, that equates to bad performance or worse performance. So, and you're not getting your, your full potential uh, out of yourself if you don't sleep enough. So getting enough sleep is a second huge habit of winning, winning tennis players. The third one is to prepare your bag the night before or several hours before. And I, I like preparing the bag at least several hours in advance because if you prepare your bag at the last minute, first of all, it's not really preparing, but second of all, like naturally you're going to be far more likely to forget something if you're packing your bag at the last minute. And believe me, I've done this countless times, but you know, really every small thing makes a difference. So if you're not packing what you need, like for example, I I remember one, one match I didn't, I forgot to pack extra grips and it was, uh, you know, like 90 some degrees. I, I'm a natural heavy sweater. And then I had to use this stupidly wet grip and I had to I remember having to like take it off and like turn it to the other side which (laughs) it's a little ghetto you know but you know it was a little better but I mean in the end if you don't have something as simple as an extra grip you know that could affect 
how you play and and you know having a sweaty grip is is really no joke uh but also of course you know i've seen players forget things like water sports drinks you know maybe you like playing with a towel but you forget a towel things like that can actually cost you the match you know it's every little point counts and these things making sure to bring them uh ensures that you perform to your maximum capability so prepare your bag the night before at least several hours before that's another huge habit all right, just 18 to go, my friends. Uh, uh, habit number four, make sure that your racket has fresh strings in them or at least, you know, not heavily used strings because as we all know, if you use your racket for several practice or match sessions, then most of the time the tension uh, loss is going to be pretty significant. And so if we're not planning ahead and thinking about these types of things, then we can end up playing a match with a racket with old string and or we could even run out of rackets you know i remember back in college victor wasn't too pleased but i had to actually follow oh sorry i had to borrow my friend victor's rackets i think like two or three of them because i hadn't kept track of which rackets were strong and which weren't Uh, i guess my mind was on other things or whatever but that's no excuse at all so you definitely don't want to end up at the last minute remembering that you have some rackets that you need to be strong and then spending all night you know, stringing them or something like that. And that's also going to affect your sleep and everything. So again, it, it comes back to planning in advance. And, you know, I've, I've been out there where I've, I've gone out on the court knowing that I have one racket that is really loose and, and that's pretty much it. <laughs> and, and it's, it's a terrible feeling, you know, not having control of the, uh, you know, of the, of the racket really, because you have crappy strings and, you know, having to hold back on swings or putting extra topspin on, on the ball because you're not confident that it's going to go in. And so, like I said, this comes back to planning and organization and discipline. All right. So number four, make sure that you have the right strings in your racket and fairly fresh strings. Number five, fifth habit, you definitely need to make sure to warm up before your matches. I remember back when I was a junior, I've had Trent Huey on the podcast, a fantastic guy and and professional. Uh, You know, he's made, I think, the semis of Wimbledon and and in doubles and also in mixed. He's he's reached like the quarters and semis of several different Grand Slams. And so I remember I was playing in like, I think it might have been a championship tournament, which is like, I get the time, like the highest level that tournament that we had for our section. And uh, all the players were warming up and I was just sitting in the car and I remember Trett's mom and she knocked on the window, looked at me and, and, you know, as a fellow, (laughs) at least a half Filipino for me, you know, we're both half Filipino, but she knocked on the door and and, like gave me this almost like a scowl and, and said, hey, go warm up, you know, like, what am I doing? And I have a match in 20 minutes and I'm just sitting there. But it was so weird, you know, at the time, I, I don't know what it was. I think it was just pretty much laziness. But I had this feeling that, oh, you know, I'm, I don't want to tire myself out. I want to save all my energy for the match. And that's just really ridiculous because I had no concept at the time of how important a warm-up really is to get it priming your body to play at its optimal capacity. And, you know, then I, I wondered why I was always, you know, playing my best after being a set down. Right. And that's just because I hadn't warmed up and gotten my body temperature up to speed and gotten my muscles primed to play as well as I could. So definitely warm up before your matches, have a nice dynamic warm up and and a practice. 
And, you know, it, it's something that you need to ingrain in yourself and do it before every match. I noticed that in like sectionals and regionals, actually mostly just sectionals, really, I see teams like warming up before their matches, but I don't really see that most of the time otherwise. I would say maybe like half the players or less are, are actually warming up before their matches, but you want to make it a habit so that it's uh, automatic and not something that, you know, you just all of a sudden when you're in a big match, then you're like, okay, now I'm going to warm up, you know, that's, that's not building a habit. So definitely warm up before your matches. Number six, you for sure have to eat healthy. And again, know your body. Everybody has different uh, foods that react differently with them. You know, for example, for me, I know that if I eat a heavy meal or if I eat a food with something like sour cream and cheese that affects my digestion and how I feel on the court, I feel like a sloth if I eat those foods. So I avoid these foods even though they're tempting to me. And again, it's being committed to performing your best on the court and really eating eating good stuff, eating uh, slow digestible carbohydrates, uh, uh, you know, a couple hours beforehand and, you know, eating uh, faster digesting uh, foods like uh, right before and during matches and uh, practices. These are the types of habits that you need to uh, fall into if you want to perform your best. So definitely eat healthy. I mean, you know, don't fall into the trap of like, you know, the random person who's like 15 and they said, oh yeah, I eat Burger King before my matches and I play great. I mean, that's not reality. You know, that's like either somebody who is just, they just got lucky that day or they have like a crazy metabolism, but it's not for the majority. So eat healthy, my friends. <laughs> All right. Number seven, you really need to understand your game. You really dive into yourself, like your playing style, how you're actually playing. I, I think this is underestimated. Not enough people really take a dive into, you know, what are my strengths? What are my weaknesses? I mean, sometimes we have egos and we think we do, we're, we have no weaknesses until we get destroyed by a higher ranked opponent. And then even then we might say, oh, we just had an off day. I mean, it's ridiculous how many times I see that usually from the young whippersnappers um, with, you know, too high of a confidence, uh, misplaced confidence. So, you know, you need to dive in and see what are my strengths. You know, for me, I know that I have a strong forehand. I'm quick. I hit with a lot of topspin. And then you have to know your weaknesses. You know, maybe my, my backhand wing is weaker. I mean, I don't have you know, I guess the greatest volleys, like they're solid, but, um, you know, I have trouble with half volley, stuff like that. And so then once you understand your game, then you A, know what you need to work on in your practices going back to, was that the first, uh, yeah, the first habit there of setting your intention for practices. So then you can work on your weaknesses. And then also you can understand the strengths that uh, you need to set up during your matches. So then you can figure out what are the point patterns that I can use to, to you know, hit more forehands. You know, for example, maybe I, as a righty, I, I hit more slice serves and then scooch a little bit to the left so that I can uh, increase my probability of hitting the forehand. Or, you know, if I'm in a backhand rally, I find a way to, to get it back to the forehand, uh, to a forehand rally, maybe by hitting a neutralizing slice backhand down the line or something like this. So uh, really dive into your game, figure out the strengths and weaknesses so that you can progress and, and have the best chance possible to win your matches. Number eight, something that I 
take to heart, obviously, with my podcasts and um, tennis summits and, and so forth is to learn from the best. Make that a habit. Seek out information for the best coaches and experts that you can find. Uh, you know, one of those things that you're already doing, which I applied you for, is listening to this podcast, you know, and, and learning things from uh, the best coaches and players like, you know, like James Blake, like Nick Boletari, like Rick Macy, Jeff Salzenstein, you know, all these players that I've had on my podcast and summits. But, you know, just be wary. You know, I, obviously, I, I always love talking positive about people, but uh, you just have to make sure to avoid the coaches out there who are either, call them uh, CISO lately. It's kind of actually an inside joke with my friend, but uh, it's basically coaches who clock in, clock out. CICO and they're not fully present they're just thinking about making a dime and going home and then watching Netflix or something like that and there's also some coaches out there that are teaching incorrect fundamentals so it's really up to you to do the research up front you know don't just get lazy and choose whatever coach you see like do the research see who the coaches are coaching but also look at their enthusiasm and how much effort they're putting on the court and also what they're teaching Hopefully you have a, a basic knowledge of tennis and you, you can understand when somebody is teaching uh, good concepts from not good concepts. But regardless, do that research as best you can and uh, and also keep reevaluating, you know, once you get some lessons, is this working out for me or not? So, but long story short, learn from the best, listen to, to podcasts, watch videos from highly reputable sources uh, read great books. I mean, I, I have a lot of these great books in the show notes, uh, on my show notes page, you know, things like Complete Conditioning for Tennis and books from like Brad Gilbert and uh, and, and Andre Agassi and, and uh, Nick Boletari, all these books that you can learn from. This is the type of stuff that you need to do. But uh, as we'll talk about a little later, learning is not the only thing. Uh, in fact, you can learn, spend all your time learning, but if you don't implement, then it's pretty much almost, almost worthless. So that's number eight, learn from the best. And number nine is make sure that you hydrate. Another very obvious thing, but a lot of people don't do it. Uh, actually, uh, one of my friends, Sam, he actually had several fantastic teams, but one of the teams, the 4-5 team, I believe, at sectionals, you know, they were stacked, a lot of great players, fantastic people. But um, he mentioned to me that I think almost like half the team ended up cramping. And it was just a situation where, um, from what I hear, you know, I wasn't actually at that site. Our 5-0 team was at the other site. But basically, some of them were younger players, and they just simply didn't properly hydrate you know maybe they didn't think you know they thought that maybe they were invincible or something or that the heat wouldn't get to them but it's really something that again it comes down to commitment and self-discipline and giving yourself the best chance you know like a lot of times we just get a bit lazy and think oh yeah you know I'll be fine I can I can risk it or you know these these things won't affect me but it's much better to just be on the safe side prepare as much as you can and then drink those fluids and intake the sodium that you need, you know, several days beforehand, first of all, extremely important during and then after competition as well on the recovery side to ensure that you minimize your chances of cramping. And it's really important to note, and then this is from Jeff Rothschild, who's a uh, 
fantastic dietitian and knows a lot about nutrition. And he mentioned a couple times on the, my podcast and uh, summit that we sweat out more fluids than we can intake. So keep that in mind. So that's why it's so important that you start hydrating as early as possible. And also uh, sodium is the most important uh, besides water that you need. Just make sure that you hydrate properly. And uh, <laughs> inside joke with my with my buddy Mike, I will not bring up the story of you overhydrating again. <laughs> or not overhydrating, uh, having too much water. Oops. <laughs> All right. That's, uh, sorry about that, Mike. But anyway, uh, number 10 is to challenge yourself with tournaments and better players. I remember once I played a tournament at College Park and I lost... I think it, I lost to um, Junior Orr. Yes, I lost to Junior Orr at College Park. And I've had him on my podcast. I mean, he's a fantastic, again, person and player. We used to play at Aspen Hill, and he's several years younger than me. And uh, he is a professional tennis player. I've had him on the podcast. and uh, But that time he beat me pretty bad. Uh, this was, I don't know, it was like a few years ago, actually. And uh, he beat me something like one and one or, you know, something like that. And then I went into the uh, main lobby of uh, the of J- JTCC, the Junior Tennis Champion Center. And there was a fine gentleman uh, in there and he asked me how I did. And I said I lost. And he said something that I'll never forget. And he said that it's great that you came out here and challenged yourself. And a lot of people don't even take up the challenge of playing a tournament and playing better players and losing because, you know, it's uh, obviously painful to lose and there's a a big chance that you're going to lose. But when you challenge yourself in uh, competition, then you will learn a lot about yourself in your game. You know, like if I just play, for example, with 4-0 players all the time and 4-5 players and I I win all the time, then I'm going to feel great. But that's just staying in your comfort zone. So when you play against better players, that's when you really realize and, and, you know, your weaknesses get magnified. And that's when you realize, okay, if I want to get to the next level, I need to practice A, B, and C. And so I highly encourage you as much as you can to get out of your comfort zone and lose sometimes. So challenge yourself with competition, tournaments, and and play better players. All right, number 11 of uh, the most important habits of winning tennis players is to work on your fitness, man. I just uh, worked on my fitness uh, earlier today. I did some uh, some suicides and the spider drill and uh, you know some some shadow swings and whatnot and uh, you really need to work on your fitness uh, because it's just such an important part of your tennis success I mean oftentimes whoever can last the longest is the one that's going to win the match especially you know if you have like a fairly similar level of player and uh, fitness is really crucial for improving just about everything from your speed your power, your endurance, and even your technique, you know, depending on uh, how much strength and flexibility and so forth, mobility, it's going to affect your technique. And this all comes down to your fitness training. And I personally, I mean, I, th- you know, I think that it's true of pretty much everyone, but I personally play my best when I feel confident about my fitness and I know that I can outlast players and run down every ball. I mean, if I'm 
not in shape, not eating right, and feeling like a fat A, I think you know the last two letters there, uh, then I'm not feeling confident. And uh, I, I can go back to several times, I think, when, when the winter season started, and uh, I wasn't playing much singles, I was playing mostly doubles, and I, you know, when I'd get into my first singles match, I'd be thinking to myself, oh man, like, singles is a different game. It's, uh, it takes, at least from, you know, I think, you know, it's definitely true, you know, you need to be more fit for singles, you're doing more running, and I haven't been able to, or I haven't been training like I should have, and I now I'm in this match with this person who uh, is, is a really tough player, I'm not feeling that great. And uh, my record in, in first matches in the winter season for singles, I don't think it's that great, at least the past couple of years. So fitness is is huge. And if you want to learn more about how to level up your fitness, uh, a couple things. One is you can pick up my free tennis fitness workout guide at tennisfiles.com slash workout plan. And you can also listen to the very last episode or the, the most recent episode besides this one, episode 119 of the podcast with Nathan Martin from tennisfitness.com. Man, I sure wish I uh, picked up that domain name, but um, yeah, I mean... That's a great episode to learn about the fundamentals of tennis fitness. And there's a lot of other episodes as well. Uh, if you look into the archives about tennis fitness, including ones from Dr. Mark Kovacs and uh, Dominic King and uh, a lot of other people. So uh, I highly encourage you to check those ones out. And also Dean Hollingworth, another one of my favorite fitness people. So yeah, check those episodes out and also get that free workout guide and that'll to help you on your fitness journey there. Number 12 of the habits, setting strategy, man. I mean, a lot of people, they go out there and they just play and they're not thinking enough. And this is me too. I mean, to be honest, I really was more of a reactive player. You know, I just, wherever the person hit the ball, wherever my opponent hit it, I would just go there, run as fast as I could, you know, hit it back with a, a lot of spin and velocity. And that was it. <laughs> And uh, especially with doubles, too. I didn't know how to play doubles until I got to college. You know, this is the case with a lot of players, too. They don't understand the different strategies that you need to know to maximize your chances of winning. Uh, you've got to learn basic strategies, you know, how to execute uh, a proper poach or eye formation, uh, high percentage serve returns, uh, how to play against uh, pushers and serve volleyers. You know, this is something that is really, really helpful. And, you know, for example, you know, one great thing to do is to watch tennis matches without the volume. I mean, it's it's twofold. I mean, if you, sometimes there's really good analysts out there who are talking about the strategy. Like one of my favorites who I've also interviewed on my podcast and summits is Paul Anacone, who used to interview, uh, sorry, he used to coach. Uh, Roger Federer, Pete Sampras, and Tim Henman, uh, among many others, also Sloan Stevens. He provides great analysis, and sometimes Brad Gilbert does as well. On occasion, Johnny Mack as well. Um, but other times, there's like all this other talk. So what I highly encourage you to do is to put the TV on mute or YouTube on mute, and really, and you can even, if you're on YouTube, slow down the video to like a quarter speed if you hit the gear button and then just watch the players in slow motion and see like what types of shots are they hitting. 
Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. What type of plays are they employing? And uh, just try them out in your matches and see how they work for you and in practices as well. All right. Number 14 of the 21 habits of winning tennis players. Improve your movement and footwork. I mean, this kind of goes back to the fitness tip, but it's uh, obviously more nuanced into specifically movement and footwork. Your movement and footwork is everything in tennis. I mean, if you do not get to the ball in a uh, an optimal position, a balanced position, ready to strike the ball, then you are not going to hit a very good shot. And you're going to have to compensate somehow. You're going to be off balance. And also, there's a lot of, you know, most players don't have very efficient uh, footwork. I mean, I even sometimes I catch myself, you know, when I'm I'm going for a shot that I'm, uh, instead of cutting it off, I'm like moving uh, laterally, allowing the ball to, to slice away from me, things like that. And so, the more inefficient your movement and footwork is, the more energy you're expending and wasting. So you have to make sure uh, that your footwork is is uh, pretty solid and and that you're uh, transferring your weight properly into your shots and, and all these things. And so, yeah, I mean, I think the best thing that you can do for yourself is to buy, you know, a tripod and like a, one of those adapters for to allow yourself to use your cell phone on a tripod. Uh, I mean, even that quality of, of filming is enough. And then to video yourself and check out again, your, your footwork and movement in slow motion and see how you're moving. And you might pick some stuff up and also ask your coaches, uh, to, to check out your footwork and try to point out incorrect movement. Cause I mean, again, getting to the ball, I mean, you got to get to the ball, man, and you got to be in good position. Otherwise you're going to, be in a world of hurt. <laughs> All right. Habit 14, work on your flexibility and your mobility. Another fitness tip. A lack of mobility and flexibility is going to limit your range of motion on your strokes and affect your technique. I mean, you hear a lot about this in racket fit, for example, of which I uh, very proudly uh, recommend to everybody, and uh, I've also been to this seminar, a racket fit seminar as well. My buddy uh, Sean Drake, he does an amazing job over there, and Dr. Greg Rose as well. Uh, they they're masters of of basically the mind body connection, where you know they and also Jeff Salzenstein and Mark Dr. Mark Kovacs are also um, instructors in at racket fit, and basically they figure out. Um, your body's limitations because uh, you know a lot of times we're looking at technique that we see but we're not able to actually execute it you know you wonder why you're not getting as much velocity on your ground strokes as the next person and you know that may be your technique but it also may be that you're trying to rotate your hips but they're too tight right so this is where you have two choices and it's either you work on that flexibility and mobility or you work around your limitations. But, I mean, if, if you're willing to put in the work, I mean, it's really important to, to stretch more and to work on your mobility as well. 
And, uh, I mean, it, it really helps so much. I mean, I've been stretching a lot more lately uh, and doing mobility exercises as well. And it's increased my range of motion. I've also been, been doing yoga, actually, every week. I'm considering doing it twice a week. Um, but at, at where I work, uh, they have classes. And so I've been doing it at least once a week. And um, it's been great for me. I've, I've really felt a huge difference. So habit number 14, uh, work on your flexibility and mobility. If you still have doubts, just remember Novak Djokovic and what he's doing and, and why he's number one. He chalked that up in large part to his, uh, his increased flexibility and mobility. All right, number 15, you've got to commit to your goals. This is, I mean, one of the most important habits on the list. You know, when things become difficult or if you're presented with an easier choice versus a harder choice, more work involved, most people choose the easy road. This is something that I have struggled with a lot. And uh, actually, if you go to my Instagram page, it's at uh, tennis underscore files, you know, it's it's something where uh, naturally we just want to uh, choose the easier road. But um, what you need to do is remember at that point where you have to put in the work in order to achieve your goals. And, uh, and I mean, it's simple as that, you know, just remember what you're setting out to achieve and remember that if you do not take the difficult road and commit to what you need to do, then you're not going to reach your goal. And I mean, ultimately, when you look back on your life, um, that's what's going to hurt a lot. It's not, you're not going to remember, oh, I, I had a great time sitting on the couch watching this TV show. You're more likely to remember, oh man, I, I set out to have a big serve, but because I made all these easy choices, then uh, I never was able to have a big serve. So commit to your goal. And I mean, this is pretty much, I listed this as number 16, but it might as well be 15A. Uh, it's choose long-term gains over short-term pleasure. And this is self-discipline. And again, it's something that's that's really tough. I mean, humans are engineered to seek the easy, safer path. I think it's, it's something out of just, uh, you know, making sure that you have a higher chance of, I guess, living and uh, not, you know, not getting in danger, but uh, it can really mess you up. I mean, the problem here is that you cannot improve without friction and hardship, right? Like if you're just sitting inside in, uh, you know, 70 whatever degree uh, weather uh, in your house and you're watching TV, like what are you improving, right? Are you improving anything? No, you're just staying comfortable. Uh, while other people are working hard and and uh, getting better, so uh, this this is something that I've, has really resonated with me recently. After I uh, listened to a man by the name of David Goggins, who he basically was abused and uh, beaten during his childhood, and uh, at at one point he was three hundred pounds uh, spraying for cockroaches at EcoLab. And uh, he ended up uh, just one day deciding that he is going to become somebody. And he became a Navy SEAL by, you know, he lost uh, uh, over 100 pounds in three months. And uh, he's done several uh, races over 100 miles. And and he's become one of the most prolific people uh, out there today and uh, one of the baddest men on the planet. And so I've been listening to him a lot. And I uh, actually just got his book and I'm reading it. 
And uh, his really his main message is that you have to master your mind by repeatedly choosing to do tough tasks, which will make you then used to choosing and overcoming uh, difficult things in your life. And it's, it's, you know, it's interesting for me, like I, you know, as I mentioned, uh, David's message resonated with me a lot. And so I started small by, uh, you know, choosing the stairs instead of the elevator. And, you know, when, when it was cold outside, I actually chose to walk outside um, to get to my other buildings because the FDA is a huge campus. And so I, uh, I took, you know, I walked outside even though it was like 30 degrees or whatever. And then from there, you know, like normally during the morning, I, in the winter, I, I never ran outside because I thought, oh, you know, it's too cold. But um, these days I've been running outside in the morning, early in the morning. And I just said, you know what, I'm going to choose the hard road and it's going to toughen me up. And it has toughened me up. And now I notice now that when I have uh, decisions between an easy and a hard decision, I guess, choice, then I choose the hard one. And I'm just, you know, I'm getting more confident and I'm, it's really giving me more pleasure in the, you know, versus the short-term pleasure. It's, it's giving me a lot of satisfaction and confidence to know that, hey, you know, I'm tackling these difficult things. You know, I used to be somebody who, you know, when there was discomfort, I would just tell myself, oh, you just need to rest. Like, it's fine. But now I'm just going, going for more, going for more, exercising more working harder on on uh on my tasks uh for tennis files and other things and at work uh it's it's really important here to choose long-term gains over short-term pleasure and uh and just choose to to work on uh difficult things and know that you will not improve if you take the easier route but you will improve and you will shatter limitations in your mind if you keep doing things that you previously thought were difficult and you're able to accomplish them. And that's just going to just set off a chain of uh, fantastic things for you. All right. Habit number 17. You need to know your why. Uh, this is what David Goggins called, I believe, called uh, reaching into the cookie jar, I think. But it, basically what it is is when you're trying to achieve something, uh, especially when you hit a roadblock, you have to remember, you know, why you are striving for that goal. And to add to that too, remembering kind of your your struggles as well uh, to get to where you are, uh, that's also a really uh, good strategy. But I mean, you know, for example, remembering your why, while you're training, you might get tired and you might feel like mentally drained to some degree, but you know, you have to think to yourself, I'm training as hard as I can and I'm going to put in this extra set of work because I want to play my best so that I can help my team make it to sectionals so that I won't let myself and my team down. And that way I can realize my full potential at regionals, you know, something like that. It's, you know, just remember, or for example, like when you're, when you're training, if you have that, that goal of uh, reaching the top 10, you know, you keep thinking to yourself, hey, I mean, I know that people are putting in the work constantly. And if I don't put in these extra reps, then somebody else will and they're going to surpass me. So this is why I'm putting it in to make sure I reach my full potential. And so by knowing your why, why you're doing something, I mean, the more whys you have, and just I highly encourage you to write them down somewhere, perhaps in a journal. By knowing your whys, you're, you're going to have a lot more energy to push past difficult times and roadblocks when you feel like you want to give up. Uh, 
I mean, for example, you know, not to like pat myself on the back too much or anything, but you know, a lot of people, they, they wonder how I'm able to have, you know, a normal nine to five job and host a weekly podcast, run a summit and have like other social media, write articles and whatnot, and still have time to play tennis and hang out with my family and friends. And, um, you know, I mean, it's countless times I have felt like quitting the podcast or I have, I have not felt like recording a podcast. I mean, for a little bit, I, I didn't feel like recording this podcast, right? It takes work. But then I remember my why, which in this case, I'm really committed to helping tennis players improve their games. And I really want to deliver on the content that I promised. You know, I promised that I'm going to put out these podcasts every Wednesday. And I promised that I'm going to do what I can to help people improve their games, right? So that's keeping me committed to uh, put out more content for you all. Uh, so I hope you like it, <laughs> but, uh, number 18 on the list of 21 habits of winning tennis players, set up your environment for success. This is a, almost a hack, but really I prefer to say a system to help you make the right choices and you're making the right choices easy for you while making the bad choices tough. And for example, you know, something as simple as putting out or laying out your workout clothes the night before on your chair so that they're in plain view and ready, right? Like if, if you wake up and you see your workout clothes on your chair, you're more likely to work out um, than, you know, them being in the dresser, I think. And then, you know, you just having to take that extra step and whatnot. I mean, sometimes that can make a huge difference. And also another thing is, for example, clean out your snack drawer or something like take away your computer and TV from your bedroom. These moves will make you less likely to, to snack on on bad snacks and to waste time on your computer and TV before bed. And the latter one is actually a big reality for me. I mean, actually, a couple of weeks ago, I moved my computer from my bedroom uh, so that I would stop going on the computer for too late, um, you know, because once I leave the office and that's it, I don't have a computer upstairs to, to go on and watch YouTube, you know, late. So um, set your environment up for success. Uh, number 19, make sure to cool down and recover after playing, which obviously includes uh, stretching. You really do need a cool down routine after your matches and your practices. Uh, unfortunately, most people, when I ask them if they stretch after playing, uh, their answer is no. And uh, that's a problem because the less you're stretching, the more inflexible you're getting, the more tighter, you know, the tighter you're getting, and uh, also the more sore you're going to be the next day. And um, uh, this is something that my last podcast guest, Nathan Martin, uh, on episode 119, talked about, where he actually, you know, he, he said that if you don't want to stretch right away after playing, I mean, which is optimal, uh, is stretching you know, after you're playing, that's still okay. But uh, make sure to, to do it at home, you know, maybe while you're watching TV, after you're showered and you're relaxed, uh, get that stretching in. So that's, that's a hack that you can do if you're the type that plays and leaves. And I mean, you know, at least do it, do it at home. It'll still help. And uh, if you ignore this piece of advice, then you're going to have a lot higher chance of injury. And, you know, as I think Alistair McCall mentioned on, on the podcast once, Make time for stretching or you're going to have to make time for the physio table. 
Uh, also, learn to say no to things that are going to hurt your chances uh, of winning. Uh, for This is the, the 20th habit here. And this comes down back to, uh, to self-discipline and knowing your why. I mean, some examples are if your friend asks you to go out and drink or whatever at night, but you have a match the next day, you got to learn to say no and not just people please and then end up playing a bad match. Or if you have a workout scheduled for lunchtime, which I've had, and your coworker asks you to eat lunch, which uh, sometimes I actually foregoed. Is that a word? I, I forewent the workout, but these days I'm committed uh, and have refused lunch to work out during the allotted time because I know that that's going to help me in the long run the most. And so if you're truly committed to improving and winning, you're going to say no a lot of times. You'll have to say no if you want to really level up your game and progress in your life. Number 21, the last habit for today is you've got to take action and practice what you learn. You know, you can buy hundreds of courses, but if you don't actually go through them, take notes of key pieces of advice and practice and implement them in your life, then you're not going to improve your game. I mean, that, that's, that's it. You got to take action and practice what you learn. And, um, I've actually corresponded with several of you and sometimes I hear you say, oh, you know, I've, I've bought these courses from A, B, C, and D and I've, you know, I've over flooded with courses. I mean, it's much better if you just have one course and, you know, I know that this may come at an expense of even like me or, or whatever, but I mean, you, you know, you want to make sure that these courses aren't just piling up, uh, you know, in your repertoire, but rather you're you're getting a course and you're going through it and you're taking action on it. Otherwise, it's a waste of money. All right. So that is the final list for this episode of the 21 Habits of Winning Tennis Players. I really hope that you both enjoyed and took note of these habits. And I really highly implore you to pick some, you know, at least one of these habits that you're not doing or you're not doing consistently and to commit to it, put it in your calendar, and make sure that you make it a habit. And uh, that will really, really uh, help your tennis game and help you level up and improve. And remember again, you know, tennis is a game of, uh, of inches and of just a couple of points can make the difference. So, I mean, by improving these habits, you're going to end up gaining more points in these matches and it consequently winning more matches. So, there you go. Uh, I'm going to leave links to anything I mentioned uh, today in the show notes page, uh, which is at tennisfiles.com slash 120. If you want to get David Goggin's book, uh, which is not tennis related, but it will really help you a lot. I mean, it's helped me so much already. I just be forewarned that there are expletives in it, you know, but if you can get past that and learn the message itself and just latch onto that and improve yourself, then the book's going to be really worth it for you. And you can get that at tennisfiles.com slash Goggins. That's G-O-G-G-I-N-S. I also would really appreciate it if you could subscribe to the Tennis Files podcast. And of course, you can just do that by hitting the subscribe button on the podcast app of your choice that you use to listen to the show. I also have a quote of the day for you that I do after every episode these days. And I love this one. Uh, it is... Do one thing every day that scares you.
And this is by Mary Schmitsch, I believe. So I love this. And, you know, examples of these are um, doing a footwork, doing footwork drills or a footwork routine or fitness routine that, you know, you think at the time, oh, this is going to be tough, uh, but just do it. And you're going to feel great and improve your game. You know, maybe you're scared of playing a tennis tournament, but you sign up for it and just do it. Just leap in and just do it. Uh, or maybe you're scared of playing singles after years of only playing doubles. But I guarantee you, if you play that singles match or, that, you know, train for singles, it'll help your game in different ways. And you're going to learn more about yourself and your game. So uh, for sure, love that advice to do one thing every day that scares you. All right. Well, I really hope that you enjoyed this episode. And as I mentioned, I really enjoy uh, doing these solo episodes uh, and just being able to connect a little more with you all by uh, speaking during the whole episode and uh, speaking directly to you for all of it. So again, write down these habits or at least the ones that you're not doing and implementing consistently and, and do it. All right, I hope you enjoyed this episode of the podcast. Again, my name is Mirban Aranshad, and I really hope that you are doing all you can to improve your game and having a fantastic year so far. Uh, the year is almost over, which is pretty crazy, and uh, we're over 120 episodes, at least by next week. And uh, just let me know how what I can do to serve you and help you improve your game. With that, I hope you have a great week. And I'll see you on the next episode of the Tennis Files Podcast. Take care, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Tennis Files Podcast. For more tips to help you improve your tennis game, visit TennisFiles.com.